Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I'm your host, Mary Skinner, and you're listening to Prologues, and today we're doing a Hey Mary episode. Hey Mary is the name that y'all gave this segment of the podcast. It's an advice series. You can, whenever you want, email the Prologues podcast at gmail.com with a query, a question, a life situation, and I try to do this once a month, but I will select random emails and we just chat about them here on the podcast. I really like these episodes because I love hearing from y'all and learning what's going on in your lives, the kinds of things that are on your mind. So I'm excited to get into this. Little disclaimer before we get started. I say this every time, but I feel like it always bears repeating. I have limited knowledge of these situations. And also, what do I know about anything? Nothing. So all I can offer you is my perspective and advice based off of what I know, but you know your situation best. And all I can do is give my opinion, but it's just my opinion. And I don't know your situation as well as you do. So I love this series because I feel like it's a place to chat. It's a place for you to maybe get a new perspective. This is not life or death advice. You could listen to me give this advice and be like, doesn't make any sense. Absolutely not. I'm not doing that. And that's totally fair. And I respect that. I just think it's a fun series. So today I'm just going to jump right in because I don't really have anything to update y'all on. The past week went by in a blur. It was very busy. Nothing major happened. And some weeks are just like that. It was a filler week, you know, filler episode, filler week. I did have a good weekend because I crossed a few things off of my fall to-do list. But other than that, it was just a filler week and I feel like that's fine. So I just want to jump straight in. We have a couple of good submissions today. Hey, Mary, I just got married this past June to the absolute love of my life. Love that for you. We have been together for three years now. He is the best person in the world for me, meets all my needs in all areas. Our chemistry is out of this world and we are best friends, which is why I'm so confused as to why I am consistently, at least weekly, having dreams about an ex of mine. We met in high school my junior year and dated on and off for about seven years. When we were dating, it was fun, but when we weren't dating, we were best friends. Everything ended, relationship and friend-wise, when I rejected him one last time and he started a rumor about me in our hometown in 2019. That was the last time we spoke. I've moved on and am perfectly happy with my life now, but he seems to be haunting my dreams. What does this mean? Do you think my dreams are trying to tell me something or am I just not over him like I thought I was? This is T. I feel like the subject of exes in dreams, it's way more common than we think. I have personally had dreams about exes. All of my friends have had dreams about exes. I think it just happens sometimes. It's interesting that you're saying it's happening like weekly and I can understand why this is causing you to doubt yourself or second guess or maybe even spiral a little bit. Totally understand why. But I don't think you have cause for crisis yet. So number one, first thing I want to hit, you say you're married to the love of your life. I love this for you. Three years, best person in the world for you, meets all your needs in all areas, great chemistry and best friends. So first of all, congratulations. That sounds like such a perfect partnership and such a good match. Which is why I can understand why it's so confusing that you're having dreams about this high school ex. I feel like, this is me speculating, I feel like you've probably Googled this, like what does it mean when I dream about an ex? And you've probably gotten conflicting information. And if you've ever seen anything that's like, oh, if you're dreaming about an ex, that means subconsciously you haven't moved on and you still want them. I don't necessarily think that's true. And I want to get into that. 
you didn't really specify how things ended or on what terms things ended. You just said relationship and friendship wise. You rejected him and he started a rumor about you. To me, that sounds like a bad breakup. I don't know if things ended amicably and then he got salty or what happened with that. But starting a rumor about you in your hometown after you reject him and you're not together anymore, that's so petty and that is so immature. And that's something that that's really upsetting. Like that's something that sticks with you for a while. I was in a similar situation once where an ex of mine just spread a rumor about me after we broke up. And it was one of those rumors that's kind of ludicrously false. But at the same time, it really hurt because when you've shared that much of your life with someone and you've spent that much time being vulnerable and letting someone in and then they choose to violate that trust that you had and they just don't want people to like you or they like actively want people to dislike you and so they tell a lie that really really hurts and that can stick with you for a while so to me it sounds like a bad breakup personally you did also say you were on and off for seven years it was fun dating and you were best friends when you weren't dating So also confusing is the fact that it seems like you had a very positive relationship with this person until it ended badly, which is also a different kind of heartbreak because you're also you're not just losing a boyfriend, you lost a close friend, a best friend. And in some ways, the bonds we share with our best friends transcend the bonds we have with casual partners. Like, I really believe that. I think it sounds like you have healed and you have moved on. If you've been together for three years, it sounds like you got together fairly soon after the rumor in the hometown in 2019. And so that might be making you question things as well, because you might be like, did I give myself enough time as a single girly to really heal from this before I move on? Basically, what I'm trying to say is I think your feelings are so valid to be questioning why this is happening. But I don't think it necessarily means you're not over him. My friends and I have talked about this topic so many times because I think it's normal to have at least one dream about your ex in your life and to not understand why. The conclusion that my friends and I have come to and what I'm going to share with you is that I think in most cases, a dream about an ex means something in your current life is reminding you of them or triggering you in some way that relates to your past relationship and your brain is just processing. I think the idea that healing and getting over something or someone is a one and done scenario just isn't true. I think as we go through life, we are continually healing, reckoning, and re-reckoning with situations kind of forever. That doesn't mean you still have feelings for the person or situation. It doesn't mean you're still hurt. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means as you go through life and you are put into new situations that remind you of your past, you're just constantly evolving and growing and changing. And I think that's what dreams about exes mean a lot of the time. Maybe your current partner is doing something. Maybe your husband is doing something that reminds you of this ex. It would stand to reason that if you spent that long with your ex and you are this in love with your husband, because it sounds like you're genuinely so in love, like I don't think you should be doubting your feelings for him or your commitment to him at all. It stands to reason that these two people may have some commonalities because you're attracted to both of them. So maybe your husband has something about him that's reminding you of the ex. It could be just a similar joke that they tell. It could be 
a catchphrase or an expression or something as simple and innocuous and innocent as that. But when that happens because you're with your ex for so long, it probably triggers a little memory. And maybe your brain is trying to reckon with that. And so it's coming out in a dream because that's when your subconscious is really alive and awake and trying to process what has happened in your day to day. And it also doesn't have to be your husband. It could be something you saw on TV. It could be a coworker or a character in a book you've read. There are not that many unique human experiences in the world. Everything reminds us of something else. Like, I really believe that. And your brain might just be trying to process. It could be that you have recently passed the anniversary of something significant that happened in that relationship, maybe your breakup. I have found in my life, my brain just tends to remember dates and remember big events like that. And even though I'm not consciously thinking about it, when I pass the anniversary of something really significant in my life, either positive or negative, I feel like my emotional intuitive self remembers that moment. Even if I like I can't tell you a lot of the dates of these events now just off the top of my head. But when I look back on how I felt in the previous months or year or whatever, I can tell that when that date passed, I felt a certain way because my brain remembered it stored that information somewhere. And when something reminded me of it, like the time of year or the day, it just processed again. I feel like our brains are like computers that are constantly updating and refiling and reprocessing. I don't think getting over things is a one and done experience. Also, if this person caused you trauma of some kind, which he may have, I mean, if he started this rumor in your hometown and that really deeply affected you, trauma is harder to get over than just losing feelings for some person. Like you can lose feelings for a person know deep down in your soul you never want to be with them again and you're like you are better off with them out of your life and you never want to open that door again and you're so comfortable with that and you still have to work on the trauma that they caused you that is so valid and if you won't take it from me take it from my therapist because my therapist has told me this verbatim before you can be over someone and still not be over the hurt of what they did to you. And I feel like that that might be a hot take. I feel like there are people out there who would say, no, if you have any negative emotions of any kind related to an ex, that means you're not over them. I fully do not believe that is true. I do think that with time, time heals most things. And the more time passes, the easier that gets and the more you do heal and move on. But it's just not that simple. Human emotions are not that simple. If this person caused you trauma, it could be that for whatever reason, at the time that this happened four years ago, your brain dealt with it a little bit and then put it in a box somewhere in the back of your psyche and was like, okay, we've dealt with that as much as we can in this moment. We're going to put that in a box. We'll come back to it later. And now your brain is like, okay, it's time to come back to that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not uncommon. A lot of people go through this. Something that I personally would think would be a mistake is thinking that dreaming about an ex means you're missing them or your brain is trying to tell you something. Dreams are just your brain and your subconscious processing what it has seen and gone through in real life. 
And think about how crazy some of your dreams are. Like so many of my dreams do not make sense on the surface, but then once I really dig down and unpack them, I can find these connecting threads between my real life and my dreams. But sometimes the real life situation becomes so distorted and twisted in my dream that it seems unrecognizable at first, but it isn't. That could also be happening. It could have nothing to do with your ex. It could just be that in your relationship with this ex on and off because it lasted seven years and that's a hell of a long time. It could just be something happened and your brain is now reckoning with it. I don't think you should be super worried if it bothers you a lot. I think a great choice would be journaling about it, writing down these dreams and trying to work through it, trying to figure out what the deeper meaning is with the understanding that the deeper meaning is likely not that you should be worried about still being in love with your ex. Like, I really don't think so. The way that you've described your husband sounds wonderful. You said you are best friends and that's rare to find. It's amazing. It's beautiful. I don't think you should panic. I think just take some time, journal about it, maybe speak to a close friend and try to unravel that thread and see what you can find. And good luck. I know this is kind of freaky. Like it's not, it's unpleasant. You wake up from a dream about an ex and you're like, what the fuck was that? Sometimes you feel betrayed by your own head. You're like, why did you make me think of that? Why did you show me that? But you're definitely not alone. Good luck. I hope the dreams stop and I hope you figure out what they mean. For some reason, it has been 80 degrees in Virginia lately, 80 degrees in October, and I'm still on my fitness grind, so I have not gotten a break from sweating my brains out when I go on my long walks. But that is okay, because I know how to maintain optimal hydration in my body, and that is through electrolytes, and that is through Element. Element is a sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. It has no sugar, no gluten, it's vegan-friendly, paleo and keto-friendly, and it has no artificial colors or just weird ingredients. Element packs a punch with sodium, potassium, and magnesium to make sure that not only are you drinking water, but you're actually hydrating yourself. I notice that when I don't take my electrolytes, I feel like I have less mental clarity in the afternoon. I recover from workouts slower and I'm more prone to headaches. So Element helps me fight against all of that. I love Element. I've been such a dedicated fan since I discovered them this summer and I want to share the love with you guys. So if you go to drinkelement.com slash Mary Skinner, you can pick up a free sample pack with purchase and this will allow you to try out all of the cool flavors like citrus, watermelon, orange, raspberry. There's even chocolate and things like mango chili and lemon habanero. Element also has a no questions asked return policy, which makes it so easy to test out the product and test out the brand. I know you're going to love it. You can find out which one is your favorite for yourself by going to drinkelement.com slash Mary Skinner. The link will be in the show notes and getting your free sample pack with purchase. Okay, next up. This email has a very sweet introduction and a super nice first paragraph, which I feel awkward about reading. I don't know. It like feels weird to read someone being super nice to me out loud. I don't know. I'm just going to skip to the question. This prologue's listener would like to know, how did I find the right therapist for me? How did I go about finding one through online sources or word of mouth, etc.? And at what point did I truly feel like they were the right person for me to talk to? I get this question a lot, actually, because I've been open about my journey, having different therapists, having therapists that did not work for me, having therapists that kind of helped save my life. And when you don't know where to start with finding a therapist, it seems incredibly daunting because this is a person you're going to be so vulnerable with and so honest with. 
or at least you should be. It's someone you're going to tell all of your shortcomings, all your darkest thoughts, everything that makes you insecure about yourself. Like It's a significant relationship in your life, and it takes a lot of trust to have a productive and healthy patient-therapist relationship. So super fair question. For a little backstory, I will tell you about my history with different therapists. My parents put me in therapy as a teenager and I did not connect. It was an older man. He did not really understand anything about teenage girls and what they think about what they go through. He misdiagnosed me. It wasn't a good connection at all. And I eventually stopped going. I also had a counselor at my college for a while, also not a great connection. They were a very nice person. They actually told me straight up that they felt like they couldn't help me and I needed to seek therapy outside of the college campus, like with a more traditional therapist. They didn't feel like they were equipped to help me deal with my specific issues, which is a wild thing for a therapist to tell you to your face. I'm not going to lie. To have a therapist basically be like, yeah, you're actually so messed up that I don't think I can do anything here. Like, you need more help than I can give you. Crazy thing to hear, but they were right. And my next therapist after that, when I did find another one, is someone I had a very amazing connection with. And she really, really helped save me during a very dark point in my life. Uh, without that therapist, I don't think I would be here today. I saw her for almost two years and then I moved and we just weren't able to continue. And then also COVID started and there was issues with telehealth and it was a whole thing. Our relationship kind of faded naturally, which is a shame because I truly feel like I owe her a lot. I had a fantastic connection with that therapist. And then I was not in therapy for how many years was that? Two or three? Because I have a psychiatrist and I've had that psychiatrist since that previous therapist, but psychiatrists and therapists could not be more different in my opinion. And whether it was two or three years, not quite sure, I started with another therapist at the beginning of this year. And again, really good connection. I feel like this person has helped me so, so much. So I've had experiences with both and I found different therapists in different ways. The first therapist, my I think my parents saw like a listing in the yellow pages and they were like, oh, our daughter needs help. Let me put her in. And so that was the first one. Second one obviously was on my college campus. I have found therapists before by using online databases. I don't know if this is the best way or the most efficient way, but how I've done it is go to psychologytoday.com, psychologytoday.com, and they have a registry of therapists all over the United States. And you can filter them according to what you're looking for. So I would filter, like I knew I wanted to speak to a woman. I just feel the most comfortable being that vulnerable with a woman. And I was also looking for a specific age range. I didn't want anybody too young that I felt like they didn't have the wisdom of experience to share with me. But I also didn't want anybody too much older because I felt like they wouldn't be able to relate to what a young 20-something is going through in the world right now. So I personally was setting my like age ranges between 35 and 50. You can also filter according to the specific issues you're seeking help for. So I have always just put in, you know, bipolar disorder, manic depressive disorder, now, since I got diagnosed with OCD, I put in that. And then you can also put in things like family trauma or 
queer issues or something like that, specific issues that aren't necessarily diagnoses, but you still might be going through. You can also filter through your insurance company, or if you decide to pay out of pocket, you can put that in as well, which is great because then you can make sure you're finding a provider within your network. And I believe you can also filter according to the price range per session. So when I did that, I wanted to go to therapy weekly, which really adds up. And so I just put in, this was a couple years ago, I would just put in a specific price range that I felt comfortable with and I was able to find something through that. And then also, I know this is a lot, but also you can filter through people who offer online sessions or only in-person sessions and then also location. Then once you get a list of results that's really tailored to your specific needs, you can go through and read these profiles on each person where it just shares their style of therapy, what kind of techniques they're into, what they specialize in, what kind of experience they have with different types of issues, different types of patients. And then also the profiles give you that information on insurance they accept, pricing, stuff like that. So I have done that twice. And for me, it's really worked. Again, I don't know if that's the best way to go about it, but it's worked for me. I do know people who have used BetterHelp and have had positive experiences. I personally haven't used BetterHelp, but I do know that that's a really easy option if you just need to find someone quickly. I have also gotten recommendations for therapists through my primary care physician and my psychiatrist. I've never actually taken those suggestions. Like I haven't actually spoken to any of those people. But I believe you can probably ask your primary care doctor for recommendations and they may be able to provide that for you. Now, on to the second part of the question, which is how do you know someone is a good fit for you? I think it's pretty intuitive. I think you can tell pretty quickly whether you're clicking with someone or not. You want a therapist who is not judging you, someone you feel safe with, someone you feel that you can easily chat to, the trust you have between yourself and your therapist is paramount. Like you can't have a good therapy experience and see real change in your life without being brutally honest with your therapist. And you can't do that without trust. So someone that you believe is really rooting for you and is really on your side, someone who has your best interests at heart and someone you trust, that's critical. Usually when you start therapy, you will go to an intake session And an intake is basically, this is my least favorite part of therapy, (laughs) an intake is basically the first meeting between you and the therapist where they go through this giant checklist and ask you to list all your symptoms and all your mental breakdowns. And they ask you if you've ever been suicidal and they ask you your family history. You explain to them why you're seeking therapy in the first place, any past history with therapists, medications you're on. It's like one big informational session back and forth between you and the therapist. Not, I don't want to sugarcoat this, you guys. I think they suck. I think they're necessary because that's the standard first step to starting therapy. But just to be honest and to be realistic, I think they suck because it does not feel great to sit down with someone you've never met and tell them all of the darkest moments in your entire life. And to kind of like share your family secrets and all these things. I hesitate to say that because I don't want to scare anybody off from seeking therapy. But I want to be realistic about it. I think it's an uncomfortable experience. I think taking note of how your therapist acts in that session, how they react to what you're saying, the energy you feel between the two of you, that will be a pretty good indication 
as to how your relationship would be. But I think a lot of therapists, at least in my experience, offer like an initial four to six sessions as part of a package deal. I know a lot of insurance companies also will cover the first four to six sessions. And then that helps you as well. Like just get a feel for the relationship, feel for the person, see if you're comfortable. If your intuition is giving you any sort of red flag about a therapist, I would say run. Doesn't mean they're a bad person. It could just mean you don't click. And that's not really an option in therapy. So those are my tips for how to find a therapist and what to look out for in the relationship. I believe in therapy so much. I truly feel like therapy has changed my life for the better. I wasn't on social media during my super dark days, you guys. So I don't even really have the words to describe to you what I was like as a person for ages 12 to like 21. I can't even describe it to you. You wouldn't recognize me. Like if you guys think I'm I'm moody now, because I am, I still struggle. You should have seen me back then. Like things were not good. Okay. And I really credit the wonderful therapists I've had for helping me turn my life around and helping me enjoy my life. And there's other things as well. Medication. I really believe in psychiatric medication, not for everyone, but for certain cases. For myself, certainly, I I never want to go off of my meds ever. I made an entire episode about my medication journey. It's a few episodes back. If you would like to hear about the medications I've tried and my feelings about it. There's also my self-care and my wellness practices. I can't discount that. Like you guys know, I believe in the combination of holistic and science-backed living. I am pro-holistic healing and I'm pro-Western medicine as well. I think there is a time and a place for both. So my wellness practices have also changed my mental health for the better. But when I think about my therapists, I know that I wouldn't be where I am today without them. That first therapist that I had post-college, the one that like really saved my life, I would say that she was critical in getting me out of a crisis zone, kind of getting me back to a fairly stable level. The therapist I have now, I wasn't in a crisis zone when I started with her. And so I was able to think to myself, okay, I've gotten out of rock bottom. I haven't been at rock bottom for a while, or at least not at least not for too long. Like I'm bipolar, so you know, ups and downs are kind of part of it. But I haven't been in that type of rock bottom for a long time. And I feel pretty stable, you know, most of the time. And I think I'm ready to start unpacking some of the really like deep traumas in my life. Those are two pretty different purposes for being in therapy. So the first one being getting out of crisis mode and the second one being, okay, now that I'm doing better, now it's time to really dig deep. Both of them, I think, have been great. I go to therapy every single Thursday. I look forward to it every week. I feel good after my sessions. Most of the time, sometimes when you're doing trauma work, it takes a really big emotional toll. But at the end of the day, because I know it's overall so good for me, I do usually feel good after my sessions. So those are my tips. I would encourage anyone listening to this right now who has considered going to therapy to go for it. There are so many options out there different locations, different price points, different specializations. And I'm such a big fan of therapy. So I would definitely really, really encourage it. All right, let's do another one. Hey, Mary, I have been listening to Prologue since episode one and just love your overall vibe slash attitude so much. Thank you. This message may be long. Feel free to shorten or edit. Okay. 
I would love your take on shared finances with a significant other, boyfriend, fiance, husband, etc. My boyfriend and I currently live together and are planning to get engaged by the end of the year and get married next year. Congratulations. Oh my God. We've been together a little over two years and moved in together about a year ago. We currently have a joint savings account that we both contribute money to monthly, but have our own separate credit cards and checking accounts. I'm wondering what might be the best way to go about this once we officially get married. I've always been independent and have never relied on anyone to pay my bills. Same. We both have similar incomes and I don't plan on changing that. But there is something that makes me feel united with my partner knowing we share our bank accounts, as weird as that may sound, lol. I view our relationship as two people merged together rather than individual entities. And it just makes sense to ultimately have one main checking account. But a part of me is just so used to have my own personal accounts that I guess I'm having a hard time letting that independence go. Side note, I just love online shopping and I'm shy for him to see how much I shop. I'm mainly just curious what your thoughts are. I know every couple has their own preferences when it comes to finances. Okay, great question. I think there are a thousand different ways for couples to go about it and there aren't really a lot of wrong answers as long as you and your partner are both comfortable with it and feel good. So I can't tell you what to do, but I can offer my opinion and what we do. I just want to say I love the timeline of your relationship because that was the timeline of my relationship. You're saying you live together, going to get engaged by the end of the year, been together two years and moved in about a year ago. So it sounds like you moved in after a year of dating and you're going to get engaged after two years, which is exactly what my husband and I did. And so I don't know. I love that little parallel lives. So like I said, I think the most important thing is that you and your partner feel comfortable and feel secure in your relationship with money and finance together. Some people have very strong opinions about who should be paying for what, and I can't really comment on that. But here's what I believe. I understand where you're coming from when you say it makes you feel united with a partner to have shared accounts, but also you value your independence. I have never been someone who has wanted to fully combine finances. My mom instilled in me growing up this sense that you should never fully rely on someone else for your bills, your income, your finances, nothing. Like you should never have to really fully rely on someone else for your living in this world. That's not realistic for everyone. No judgment if you do rely on your partner, just speaking for myself. So for me, I will never, ever, 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 ever fully combined finances and bank accounts with somebody. That being said, my husband and I do have two joint accounts that go towards joint expenses, which I think is completely reasonable and something that most couples do. Joint expenses being things like rent, food, we own a car together, so car payment and things like that. In my relationship, all of my unnecessary spending or fun spending, or personal spending, that all comes from me. And same for my husband. Whenever he wants to do something, he just does it with his own money. We don't consult each other. We don't, like, it's just not up to the other person how we spend our own personal money. And then for issues like rent, those are things we approach together as a unit because they are expenses for both of us. I also feel this way about shared assets. Like for me, personally, I wouldn't feel comfortable living in an apartment where my name wasn't on the lease or in a home where my name wasn't on the title because it's so important to me to always know that no matter what happens in life, 
I'll be good. I will be fine. And I'm not saying this is like disaster planning for a breakup. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm saying your partner could get hurt. They could get injured. They could get laid off. Like unexpected things happen in this life. And if I was relying on my partner for all of my finances, if something happened to them, what would we do together? I think having separated finances to some extent, one, it helps cover you in case of disaster. And two, it helps cover both of you. It helps you both be there for each other in case something crazy and unexpected happens. My mom has just always said to me that you always have to be good on your own. You always have to know that no matter what, you can take care of you. My mother is also a very, very independent person. No surprise. That is my personal take on it. And it's what I feel comfortable in my relationship and my husband agrees. And this has really worked for us. I kind of agree with you. Like if you love online shopping, but it's your own damn money, it's your paycheck, spend it how you want. Like I love budgets. I love financial planning. You know, be smart about it. But if you have money to spend and you want to spend it on something, it's your damn money. Spend it on something like whatever. And the same goes for your partner. And I think this works out really well in cases where maybe one of you has an expensive hobby. My husband likes golfing, not a cheap hobby. And so imagine if he like had to come consult me every time he wanted to buy golf accessories or a golf club or something. It just doesn't make sense for us anyway. If you want to fully combine because it makes you feel like a unit with your husband, you said you view your relationship as two people merged together rather than individual entities, which is up to you. Like, fair play, you go. If that's how you feel and it would make you and your partner feel good to merge finances, I would personally advise to have some of money set aside. Like, maybe you merge all of your finances except you each retain a savings account in case of disaster and emergencies, but then you share a joint checking and savings and credit card and everything as well. I just feel like because of the way that I was raised in my view on finances, I can't advise anyone to not have money of their own at all. If it's possible for you, again, I know that there are so many different types of situations out there and sometimes you don't have control over this and sometimes you just have to do what you have to do in order to survive. Like I really wanna emphasize, I'm not judging anybody who views this differently than I do. In an ideal world, I think everybody should retain some money for themselves when they get married or when they enter into a partnership. So as you say, it just makes sense to you to ultimately have one main checking account. I think you can go for that and just keep some savings on the side. And I hope that you never have to use them. I hope both of you are forever healthy and employed in jobs you love and that nothing happens. But then you'll have the security of knowing if anything does happen, you're going to be okay. Also, congratulations on your upcoming engagement. I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited for you and your wedding as well. I love that you guys are having this discussion now. I think something so critical when you are moving in with a partner and considering getting married to a partner is having those financial discussions. That has always been really important for me because I feel like finances are something couples can fight about a lot if you're not on the same page. And so just establishing what your relationship is going to look like financially before you sign those leases, before you sign that marriage certificate. I think that's so healthy and so amazing. And I think you're really going about this the right way. So congratulations. I'm really happy for you. And yeah, that's what I would do. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another week of prologues. Little exciting merch update. It's coming very soon. I think within the next three to four weeks, I will update you. But get ready 
I'm getting the finished products, I think, either late this week or next week. And then I can start taking photos in them. Then I can just make sure the website is finalized and then it will be live. So we're talking within the next month for sure. I'm so excited. I hope you guys are excited too. I can't wait for you guys to see it. I think you guys are really going to love the designs. Thank you so much for tuning in to another week. I hope you enjoyed this Hey Mary episode. You can always email the podcast at gmail.com to submit questions for upcoming Hey Mary episodes. If you're enjoying prologues, it would mean so much to me and it would help the show out so much if you would give it a rating and a review wherever you're listening, hopefully a five-star review, of course. And thank you so much to everyone who has already done so. It truly helps the show so much and I really can't thank you enough. I hope everyone is enjoying their fall. I know I am. It's the best time of year and I hope you guys are having such a good time with it, crossing things off your fall 2023 to-do list. And I will talk to you next week. Bye.